0: telling her story come on from the heart of the mystery dispeling. years of violence we
1: are breaking the silence
0: and welcome back to a- another episode of the cocoon podcast welcome back I am your host, Ruby Colitis, and this podcast is affiliated with the Blue Butterfly Institute, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to spreading awareness, education, and advocacy towards victims and survivors of sexual abuse and trauma. I hope that you have had a great and happy holiday and new year and this is our first episode for the year and this is a really special one because we have our very first international speaker we are speaking with Trina Orchid from London Canada and this episode is all about dating apps and the safety and issues and risks and tribulations surrounding dating apps and how you and your family can be safe and the rise and increase of defamation and privacy issues. This is a very interesting podcast that's dealing with current and growing issues and I hope that you all enjoy. Let's go. So, Are We Dating the Same Guy? What inspired you to write that article in the first place?
1: Yes. Well, I hadn't even known about the Facebook groups, Are You Dating the Same Guy, until a colleague of mine alerted me to it. And she said that someone she knows um, had found out via that Facebook private group that someone that she had been seeing for a while was seeing someone else. And that was very difficult, but she was kind of grateful that she found out before things got too far. And I thought, well, that's very, very curious. And so I began doing a bit of a deep dive. Um, And then we were hearing more about that recent court case in London with a man who was featured in one of these sites and he was suing the administrators for defamation of character. And that really tweaked my interest and actually a colleague of mine from the Faculty of Law, she reached out and she said, you know, had you heard of this? I had been interviewed about it and she wanted to write an article together, bringing her legal expertise and my expertise in sort of the other areas. And so that's how that article came to be.
0: Yeah. So and that's the reason why I wanted to talk to you, because. The rise of media harassment and defamation with these cases is growing rapidly, like internationally. It's a huge thing here in Australia. Currently, there's laws in that currently in the process of being made here where um, such acts of harassment and defamation can be prosecuted, which is a bit scary. So why do you think it's defamation is so easy now?
1: Well, I think that claims of defamation are easy because we have access to one another in unprecedented ways on platforms that have open door policies, even when it's a private group. I mean, it takes a second to get a membership and away you go, right? And people also don't always keep the information within the group. They sometimes definitely take it offline, right? And so there's always that blurring between Well, what is real, but, you know, digital versus virtual versus in-person workplace stuff, you know, intimate relationships, secrets, you know, children, all these different facets can easily within, you know, the swipe of a thumb, basically almost, you know, become front and center and transformed into news and shared with millions of people or even hundreds of people in ways that we just haven't seen it being done before and it's also connected though as we say in the article very much with people's fatigue with dating apps and also frustration with one another in terms of how we communicate and how mean we are with each other so some people I think it's kind of they're just wanting to you know have a therapeutic um experience and they're frustrated and so they're letting it out in these ways
0: yeah and i think that's actually such a beautiful like and a very um insightful way to talk about because you're right dating apps can be so fatiguing and while they bring a lot of people you know joy and a connection it can also be quite dangerous for our protection and our safety particularly you know as females it's we're a lot more targeted I know even in Australia that you know the the gender is quite um, heavily divided you know there's definitely a lot more cases of women being susceptible than men so how how do we navigate these ways of trying to find connection while also looking after our safety and also the safety of our, you know, friends and family?
1: Yeah, well, um, that is a question that could fill a few books, (laughs) and I have certainly talked about it in my forthcoming memoir, Sticky Sexy's Dad, Swipe Culture and the Darker Side of Dating Apps. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, because I came into this landscape relatively, well, let's just say completely like a babe in the woods, digital woods. I still only have 15 apps on my phone, please, you know, (laughs) what? Uh, But it was like, this is what I have to do, apparently. And so, I, you know, and I was ready to try out intimacy as a sober person. It wasn't at that time, you know, six years ago, not super comfortable going to bars and stuff. So I'm like, okay, this is what I have. Um, and I began realizing so quickly that I had no idea about what this world was like and how people treated each other and just the casual nature of not just sex, but also just being ghosted and just, um, sort of the similar narratives over and over again I'm like does it matter who you're talking to cuz like the same the last guy you said put the exact same script and so a lot of things came together that were not only puzzling about technology but even further still about the ways that we communicate with each other and part of the reason again for writing the book is to you know share my experiences and the vulnerability and the pitfalls as well as some of the fun and weird and you know lovely things too that I did discover but I think navigating these spaces is about using our voice to whatever degree we have the capacity to do and to sort of call each other out on bad behavior, whether it means getting ghosted or not, you know, that's not really the point. But I mean, I would call out a number of people I was looking looking at and talking with him like geez this is kind of boring what you're saying why don't you just let's just leave it to our imagination and see what happens when we actually meet in person and then they might get scared and run away or they, they, they might be like yeah i really appreciate you saying that and it also makes me realize that you're actually engaged in this conversation you're not just talking to a million people at once kind of thing so sometimes it can have like a happy outcome ish right when you're just like mm, i don't like the way you're talking to me sometimes that is not easy to do but sometimes it can be that simple And um, so that's the thing and it's also really important to remember that they're called dating apps, but they don't really teach us anything about dating. In fact, they usually have tips for dating that really give us the idea that dating is very impossible, that it's very difficult. So we will rely on the apps. Right. And so they kind of dumb us down in a very, very uh, tailored and, and targeted way in order to create more reliance on their platforms, which, as we know, are riddled with failure. And in fact, failure is essential to their design because if everything worked out well in the first couple weeks we'd be off of those things right and so a lot of us know that but just being reminded about you know the apps that we want to use what we don't want to use using our social media platforms to kind of call big companies out you know that's that's there's lots of us who are dissatisfied and you know sort of connecting with one another in that way is also a way to sort of keep your integrity while you're swiping
0: and so and then obviously you know with the um with the groups that you were discussing like are we dating the same guy which brings us to the next like question do you think these dating communities these groups where you share these experiences do you reckon that they can inspire confidence and and motivation to reveal their trauma journey and to reveal their events of you know sexual harassment of media harassment um regardless of the risk of defamation or even just judgment and criticism on a global and national basis
1: i think that when they began they were more like traditional support groups that we kind of think of that were you know, very much designed to like really support one another and call out the, the, the bad apples or whatever um and also celebrate some of the people who are nice right because on those sites it's like hey does anyone know this guy and sometimes it's negative but sometimes it's like yeah i went to high school with a guy you know he's solid he's nice so there are there are some like success you know and some you know with respect to the way that people are being perceived on those sites as well um but i think they have really morphed and that's one of the things we're seeing in a lot of the stories about them recently is how they've they tend to become sort of spaces for roasting men and for, you know, really, really unkind talk about people. That is where we can kind of get closer to the defamatory needle. And I mean, unkind talk about someone isn't really necessarily a form of support it might help that one individual to feel a little bit better but it's a very short-term kind of flash in the pan response so I think it's really questionable whether or not these particular spaces are offering the people who join them a tremendous deal of support and safety and a space to share the sort of totality of their journeys I don't get the sense that people are doing that there
0: so, okay. Yep. Yeah, so, so what do you get the sense of that people are typically doing in these communities and for people who want to enter the, into these communities, because obviously with these dating communities, I've looked through a lot of the Australian ones, the ones that I have been able to access. Cause a lot of them have quite, um, it's a bit like a membership almost. You have to like answer so many questions and yeah, it's a bit like a club. Um and so like a lot of people with you know who enter these dating communities I'm assuming they typically might struggle with dating or have had a few failed relationships, have had a few bad experiences. So do you think that these communities can offer substantial support emotional and also offer media support for these risks that are concurrently happening and that are also growing?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that they can offer a modicum of support. I don't think we can rely on them to do all of that heavy sort of therapeutic lifting, because I don't necessarily think that that's what they were created for. They're not therapeutic spaces necessarily. They're not, you know, a counseling site. They're not counseling services, it's a space for people to come together, share information, hopefully safeguard one another. I, that's sort of my sense. And I think I would recommend for people who do want to go on there, you know, Feel your boots, but just be mindful that some of the stuff that you read or some of the responses could be, you know, potentially triggering, right, in terms of the way that people share some things that had happened to them previously, like, I'm not sure how some of that information is properly managed by the site administrators, because it could be very triggering for those of us who have had different kinds of experiences, and we never know what is going to trigger us when, right, and so I would say, you know, arm yourself with your usual sort of self-care strategies and just know going in those are not perfect therapeutic spaces there's a bit of gossip there's a bit of like maybe some bullshit going on there's a bit of helpful information so just sort of use it with your eyes open
0: and yeah and I think also that brings on to this idea of also having that cognitive awareness maybe be a little bit wary maybe you know second guess some form of points because it did because that brought me up to what you mentioned in the article, that there's a lot of he, sh- he said, she said, a lot of commentary on that too, which can make, um, you know, survivors and their testimony easily dismissed in a legal process. And also what, um, what quote impacted me, So I've just got your article, I'm looking at the dot points I made, is that... Um, is that many reputations suffer from the information featured in the groups could sue the people posting and the group administrators for defamation. So how can we navigate that, those power imbalances and still have the motivation to believe that there is a connection out there for us or for us to keep trying, despite the hesitation that these power imbalances and issues might arise. Cause unfortunately it's a very common thing. Like I unfortunately know more women and people who've had bad experiences than positive ones.
1: So, I mean, navigating the power imbalances is something we have to do for our whole lives. We live in very inequitable spaces, right? And many of us multiply so, depending on where we identify. Um, so, in terms of you know, how do we navigate? first of all, the question, like, is how do we navigate these online spaces without sort of veering into defamation? Is that kind yeah. Of
0: yeah. Playing? Yeah. And also, yeah. and also how can as females, we empower ourselves and be confident within ourselves to navigate and try and find these connections, even with such a risk.
1: Sure. Okay. So in terms of the first part of the question, um, I would say that, you know, if you're concerned about defamation, but yet want to share your experiences as a way to potentially safeguard others, I would say do it using language that is not outwardly cruel and that is a bit more descriptive as opposed to laden with certain kinds of emotions that have very specific meanings that can be taken out of context and that can be taken out of context in media and just really put fuel to the fire. Um, There's always a different way we can think about describing people and it doesn't mean that you're not including what happened to you and the detriment that it may have caused. I encountered this writing my own book, right? It's like how do I want to talk about these difficult things without letting people off the hook, but also not appearing to be like a raging bitch.
0: Yeah. Or spiteful or (laughs) scorned.
1: Right. And I think that's part of our challenge. We have an imperfect language called English. At least that's my dominant language, my only language. Um, And that's part of the challenge is we know our world is different. We know that things can be taken out of context in, in, in a snap, we know that we have access to millions of people and they to us. And so some of the onus is on us in terms of how we want to describe things. doesn't take away from what happened, but using language that is a bit perhaps less emotionally laden, but still describing what happened and the impact. Right. And so some of the terms might be a bit more general, but also but very powerful and can serve the purpose. Are you so able
0: to, sorry, are you able to provide an example of that for the listeners to um, understand?
1: Yeah, well, in my book, um, one of the chapters, I talk about a very scary situation that happened with an individual. And I make sure before describing that uh, scenario that, you know, this could be potentially upsetting to people who have had experiences of sexual assault. I wasn't sexually assaulted, but maybe I was. Like the line is very blurry. And so the way I chose to share that was to draw upon my sort of ethnographic training of like describing the room, describing my feelings, describing to the best of my ability, his behavior. And so instead of saying, you know, I thought he was an asshole and he was like, this is what he was trying to do. I don't know where he was at. I was so triggered in this instance that all I could focus on primarily was how I was feeling and how I was going to get out of that space. And so that's kind of how I focused my description, right? I included some of the details, but did it in a way that still evoked sort of the general sense of fear as well as my mindset at the time in a way that I think could be helpful to other people who are in those experiences. And I was also not blaming myself, like how did I get myself in this situation, but unpacking why was it more because the situation was one where saying no to this person felt potentially more dangerous than going along with it. And this is something that women and other people experience all the time. And I didn't shy away from that. And I was unpacking it kind of as it was going through my mind as the events were playing out. I was like, God, I am caught here. I am caught here. Not that I don't, I'm not blaming myself. I know that, you know, what does our world come to when a woman has to weigh these kinds of risks and why, you know, this is about power. It's about masculinity. It's about the lack of women being believed. In these cases, in so many cases, and I had many friends, like, scold me, you know. I didn't tell anybody for a while because I felt embarrassed, right? And I include all of that in the writing up of that particular scenario as a way to kind of round out not only kind of what led up to it, what happened, but also sort of the cognitive and emotional aftermath. So I don't paint him as a terrible, horrible monster. In fact, when you do that, you take attention and power away from what is actually happening because when you look at the accuser or the perpetrator as a monster that means that it's not really part of society and in fact it is completely a product of our inequitable society we have to look at it closer. And so that is an example, kind of an extended answer, apologies, it's all right. of, how, of how I managed to include this really difficult, scary situation and also bringing it to the social light. Like what, is, what does this tell us about the way that gender and power work? And this is how it's playing out in the micro level in my life.
0: I mean, that was a beautiful example. I mean, that was just so eloquently, um, you know, spoken and I completely understood what you meant by being descriptive, you know, being, I guess, yeah, like you said, quite straightforward and I guess in a way have that like, in, like quite rational and impersonal in a way. Cause as you said, you know, calling people asshole and being names and all of that can, I definitely think work against you in the court system or as you said, even just being believed. Um, oh. Oh, sorry. I've got so many points in the article. I'm so sorry. So many. Oh yes. Here we go. So if someone wanted, if a person, most likely female, wanted to pursue legal charges, what evidence and what safety barriers can they create for themselves in order to have, I guess, a successful or an obtainable outcome when it comes to making these, um, you know, statements of of sexual uh, harassment online.
1: Right. Uh, I'll begin by saying I can't answer that question mm-hmm. accurately because I'm not a legal scholar, mm-hmm. and I do not want to provide information that is in any way incorrect yeah. or misleading. I think one of the most important things is to document as much as you can when it happens
0: like screenshots like screenshots
1: yes i mean i use that um (laughs) i talk about this in the book long story short i was supposed to return to europe after meeting someone on tinder in in sicily and things were kind of fell apart and I needed to get the insurance, I wanted to get the insurance back on my, on my plane ticket. And I phoned the person at the eight hundred number and I was crying, I was very upset about what, what, what had happened. And he said the same thing, he's like, you need to provide, you know, evidence. And I said, does screenshots help in terms of, you know, promises made, promises broken, my ex- exchanges with gr- girlfriends trying to make sense? He's like, yeah. So in some senses, screenshots are the only ways that, that we have proof. And any other text information that you have that you communicated with anyone else, details about you know, time of day, those kinds of things. You know, So I guess the, the, the documentation piece in whatever way sort of makes sense for the given situation, whether it's strictly online or whether it's online and in person, that's really important. But in terms of offering specific advice about legal case and what would make a successful case, I don't really feel qualified to answer
0: that. And that's totally okay. Thank you for telling me that. I think what you mentioned about screenshots is enough. And obviously, I mean, you know, in Australia, we have like the Royal Safety Commission. I'm sure there's something similar to that in Canada, where you can report um events of sexual harassment online. Um, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but here it definitely needs to be improved because there is a rise of situations like revenge porn. And I also just recently discovered deep fakes with AI and that in Australia, there's actually not like a legal system that actually qualifies for that because it's so new. And what is actually surprising is that the people who are entering into dating apps are getting younger and younger. Like there are, you know, people like teenagers, high school, you know, people who are just becoming adults entering into these apps. And for, um, you know, a lot of, you know, mothers with daughters or with, you know, girls and that that we feel close to that might be entering into these apps at a very young age, like, how can we help them help themselves in mm-hmm. ensuring that they are, in fact, yep. having a connection and not entering into a very dangerous, maybe even life-threatening situation, as we have yep. seen all too much here in the world?
1: Yes. No, I think it's extremely important. And in response, I'll draw upon an Australian digital wellness expert, Joanne Orlando. Oh, sure
0: she's beautiful. Heard. Yes, she's
1: so beautiful, and uh, I quote her in my book. And she's doing a book blurb for me. I love her work. I love the way that she talks to parents. She's in schools. She's in so many different spaces where digital safety and wellness are important. And one of the key things that she talks about with respect to relationships between parents, kids, phones, tech, schools, even as well, is just is communication right is that you know people are open and find ways to discuss not just the concerns and the risks but also some of the joyful things that they do on their phones and sort of build in maybe check-in times during the day you know to like you know is there anything that happened online if you want to have like an online kind of after-school check-in or something like that but fundamentally um, knowing what your kids do with phones um, is really it really a lot of it boils down to the nature of the communication that you have with them as well as getting a sense of what kind of programs are available at school because it should be spoken about in as many social spaces as possible right and because we know that lots of the peer system and socialization and connections to people who have no, no, they're not even, they could even be not even local, but anywhere in the world. Um, sometimes those things happen behind closed doors, in bedrooms at night um, with their friends in secret. And so finding ways to ensure that communication is open and that as many places that your children are spending time in, that they too have that flagged as a priority. And an interesting, creative, trauma-informed, inclusive, you know, this is the way that we need to talk about these things so that kids will tell us the truth and that that they, they will keep coming to us.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think and I think that again that's such an enriching response in being able to like educate these people so that they're able to kind of help themselves and do you you know, do you think these questions like, you know, please if you're going out send your location to a friend, at least tell me where you're going, you know, maybe send a, a screenshot of this person's number plate, blah blah blah, do you reckon those actually do help? In ensuring yeah, sure. the safety of people on those apps?
1: I think they definitely can because you're you're providing your location to someone else who's not there. Right? Absolutely. You know, and it's for it's for young people to learn about safety and wellness sex, love, but it's also for parents to learn about the digital cultures and spaces that their kids inhabit. Because we never know, we're always behind, just like the laws are behind. We're always going to, my students, I'm like, I have no idea, you're so cool. Like, you know, how much do we really know about their particular cultures online? And so it's sort of a mutual learning thing, which is why it's so beneficial to keep it open.
0: Yeah, exactly. And do you have maybe some um, examples or some websites or online learning tools that maybe parents or people can um, look into to learn more about the um, preventative safety measures with dating apps?
1: Uh, I don't have like not off the top of my head, but um, I certainly would share anything that again, that Joanne Orlando does. Um, I can I can have a look and share some of that with you if you'd like afterwards, because um, it would be good because it's something that I care a lot about. Yeah. and I eventually like to go into schools and like do some presentations and talk about this kind of thing because it's uh, well, we know why it's very important, and it's not really getting the space that it needs.
0: Yeah. Uh, again. Yeah. I, that, that's totally, that's, that's a total, that's, that's such a cool response. Just two more questions before we wrap things up. Actually, wait, no, three more questions before we wrap things up. Cause I understand that this was a bit um, on the fly. So yeah, again, thank you so okay. much. Um. Yeah. So three more questions. Firstly, like um, as you mentioned, you are a scholar that specializes in defamation and dating culture. Now, obviously within the next, 10 to 20 years these cases of um you know media sexual harassment revenge porn deep fake didn't even know that that existed that was shocking to me and i'm 25 <laughs> i'm young <laughs> yeah, <fine. laughs> yeah exactly and um you know the fact that these are going to grow so quickly what do you foresee the dating culture might end up like being in the next 10 to 20 years? And how will they create more, I guess, risks or issues around safety?
1: Well, I'm not entirely sure that the risks will be, well, I guess they could grow in terms of like ever more spaces to proliferate. But I think we sort of see some of the broad parameters. And I think what is really kind of plaguing us is that we're not talking about it enough and that governments have been very, very, very slow to respond with all things AI and tech. And we need to have much more resources and political will put into these issues because they are life and death issues. We know that people take their own lives and that you know much violence is done to them there is also a tremendous amount of pleasure and employment involved with certain kinds of sexual careers online you know only fans etc sex work um a lot of people in the different sex industries have had to move online for all sorts of things you know not just covid but there can be it can be safer than you know working outside for instance and so getting a sense of how sexuality and digital culture What it looks like and all the different kinds of spaces that people can occupy and sort of the harms as well as what kinds of ways do we, what kinds of legal responses do we want, right? We need to really come together and connect with one another sort of nationally, provincially, you know, at the the local level and have sort of these, these global dialogues as well. Because as you say, it is only going to grow. And we see how long things can take to get processed through the legal system. It can be forever, which is part of the reason people often don't come forward. So we need quicker solutions. We need things that make sense for our current times. And we need experts on board to really be in concert with legal folks, as well as social service agencies who are going to also be swelling in terms of numbers of people People who are coming to them in response to the situations that they have been put through. So those are spaces that we need more help, we need more resources, and we need young interesting people to help us make it meaningful.
0: Yeah, I definitely like the thing about social services and like sexual wellness in the digital culture, I think are definitely topics I'm going to talk about in the future. Those are really good ideas. So thank you for that. And I guess two more things, majority of our listeners are in fact, you know, mothers who have daughters and children and like to anyone, you know, who's listening to this, who wants to try dating apps, they might've had You know they might be survivors or have had failed experiences in the past what advice would you have for them right now
1: very important very important i think you know one thing that's important when you are before your dating app experience begins or even just thinking about it you know having a sense of what your goals are knowing that this is an imperfect platform that there is lots of um you're going to encounter potentially harassment you're going to encounter people who are rude Um, You know, and so it's not going to be a straightforward kind of experience. I think just knowing going in that this notion of finding love, finding the one that's that might not emerge from your experience. But what you can do and the one thing that I will say dating apps have been so important. It can introduce you to people that you might not normally ever have any kind of connection with you know the people who i've developed meaningful relationships with are people i would have never ever met before so i don't view them necessarily as dating apps but they're spaces to connect and so if you kind of look at it like that you reduce the pressure on yourself i have to find the one if i don't find the one it's my fault it's my fault don't blame yourself unless you're acting terribly (laughs) then maybe you know maybe you should give yourself a check but don't blame yourself for the failures that you will encounter. We all encounter that. Part of that is because lack of social dialogue. Part of it is because of the way that these apps are designed. They're not really designed for our success, right? So knowing that going in, thinking about if I let's you know maybe make the goal connection instead of love finding the one that will make it. The stakes are still there they're important but it'll reduce the likelihood of you blaming yourself and also of you getting completely defeated and frustrated right away if you're in it for the long game you know maybe go on for a couple days take a little break you know find ways to pace yourself so that because they are very easily addictive and i talked i talk about that in the book as a luddite (laughs) who still has only 15 apps on my phone i'm like my thumb is sore what's happening to me whoa who am I who am I so you know again part of the reason to write this book is that some people maybe don't go through quite as much suffering as I did right and so knowing these things going in I certainly didn't have that that would have made me feel less anxious less uh, like I am like doing this wrong there's something wrong with me I'm not hot enough to do so take a step back and sort of consider the different landscapes the different people that you're going to meet and maybe view it as more of a connecting space, pace yourself. Those are some things that I would recommend.
0: Okay. So important points, view it as a connecting space, pace yourself. Don't get easily addicted take breaks and as a personal scholar yourself like with your personal opinion and your experiences with dating apps are there any dating apps that you would highly rate more than others in terms of safety because in australia tinder is the number one nightmare people always talk about the dangers of tinder and yet you know people kind of tend to think that Bumble and Hinge are more of a safe space. Um, Would you correlate with that? Or are there any other dating apps that you think are a lot better with safety measures?
1: I haven't tried that many dating apps, frankly, because I'm in kind of a smaller city. And so I typically used Tinder. Tinder because there were more people. But I do think that there are safety issues with that. I think that Hinge and Bumble, like very similar to the Australian kind of like themes, I think that those are the ones that people sometimes feel a bit more comfortable on. However, I will say that I've encountered a lot of misogyny on Bumble. (laughs) Um, And when I was using Hinge, there was only like literally 20 people in the city, it seemed, using Hinge because I was always connecting with like Americans in the military. (laughs) And I'm like... So I've only used a few different ones, but you know what? What you said about perhaps Hinge and Bumble being a little bit more user friendly and also more active in the space of safety—at least that's we hear it more um, than Tinder. So I would c- concur with that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's actually quite um, insightful how you mentioned Bumble and misogyny because I've also like I've I've been on Bumble haven't had any good experiences i've also had friends my age who have been on bumble and you're right with misogyny because with bumble it's the idea that the women are the ones that reaching out first it seems that gives a platform for i guess the men on there to be a lot more low effort a lot more um i guess like narcissistic or just straight up more mean because it's like you messaged me so therefore it's on you
1: Mm -hmm. no absolutely and I've had you know many people you know they used to like in their own profile space which in my mind is like prime real estate you know oh women don't know how to date you know no one talks to me on here like this was a while ago but still um I found that you know they were not comfortable with it being feminist or they were on there just for shits and like purposely to like you know be be misogynist right and this sort of felt that they had license to because they were being asked but then they weren't really comfortable waiting to be asked because it does reverse some of the power Mm -hmm. kind of roles within dating and so yeah i know that was uh i also was using bumble when me too was just beginning so that likely also impacted it because i mean feminists it will always be a contested issue and a term and the people who adhere to it but it was especially right at that time
0: yep Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, it's amazing that, like, what more issues these dating apps can bring up. But final question, would you like to plug and promote your memoir that's coming out?
1: I would most certainly like (laughs) to plug and promote my memoir that's coming out. Thank you for
0: asking. (laughs) That's all right.
1: Yeah, so the book is called Sticky, Sexy, Sad, Swipe Culture and the Darker Mm -hmm. Side of Dating Apps. And it's published with the University of Toronto Press. It's out in April, the end of April, and there will be an audio version. I'm going to start recording that in the next few weeks. You can pre-order it now on the University of Toronto website, Amazon, etc., wherever you buy your books. And it's going to be about 225 pages, so easily digestible-ish, five main chapters. Uh, It's really exciting. It's the first time that an anthropologist has explored these issues through the dual lens of a sexuality scholar as well as a vulnerable woman looking and trying to learn about digital sexuality and romance
0: oh beautiful i think that's a beautiful way to end our episode so thank you so much trina thank you for your time and hope you had a great
1: time (laughs) let your voices be heard there is healing in your word let your voice be heard. There is healing, there is healing. Let your voice be heard. There is healing in your words. Let your voice be heard. There is healing, there is healing.